Two Men Advantage is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts. And because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. And it's not just sports. You like concerts and all kinds of things on stage and live. Game Time can help you with that as well. And it's an easy to tap checkout. With Game Time, you can buy your tickets in just two taps. You know what I wish I could do in just two taps? Clean my house. Maybe I need a Roomba. Two taps, house is clean. Watch sports all day. But until then, I've got Game Time. The Game Time app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the Game Time app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside back for another edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast, and is it snowing in Toronto? I always like to ask it, and, and uh, you know, Pierre, before you even answer that question, later in this podcast we're going to hear from Winnipeg Jets captain Blake Wheeler, uh, Philadelphia Flyers netmeyer Brian Elliott is going to join us, and I'm always curious when we talk to somebody in Winnipeg, I want to know how cold it is, is it snowing, I want to know what's going on in Toronto, because... I'm curious. I'm, I'm a naturally curious type. First of all, you only ask that about Winnipeg because you're still bitter that your thrashers moved to Winnipeg. Let's be honest. Like, I, I know you. You, you, don't, you still live in Atlanta. A lot of people don't know that. Um, it's actually quite mild here. Yeah, I think a lot of people do, actually. Uh, we got snowed on heavily on Sunday in Toronto, and uh, now it's mild and melting. It's all good. <laughs> and you know that whenever I talk to people, uh, former thrashers, uh, invariably they want, they're very curious. I, I had, uh, uh, there's always a question about, oh, what part of Atlanta do you live in? Uh, how's the weather? Because people really like living in Atlanta. I, I have yet to come across a former thrasher who didn't like the experience of living here. Yeah. I'm just telling you. That all-star game in Atlanta might have been the... <laughs> You know, you know the the saying about when a tree falls in a forest. I mean, that was that was like I just remember sitting there going, "No one in this city knows there's an all star game going on right now." <laughs> I don't. Uh, we got serious things to get to, but I, I it made me think of, and I sometimes reflect on this, having spent a lot of time in Washington over the years, and of course, you and I covered uh, their magical run to a Stanley Cup championship, first in franchise history. Uh, two springs ago and how like I I keep telling people that I think Washington might be one of the best U.S. hockey markets one of the best markets in the NHL but certainly one of the best U.S. based markets and it has been that way for a long time now but I covered the Stanley Cup final in 1998 the Red Wings sweeping the Capitals for their second straight Stanley Cup championship and it was exactly the same I swear there wasn't a single person in that city who knew that their hockey team was but a they had a hockey team b they were still playing and were in the Stanley Cup final it was it was eerie and it is amazing where that market is at now so that well you can thank Alex Ovechkin for that that's for sure that's true. That's true. All right. Let's get on with uh, lots of news to unpack uh, before we get to our guests in this edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. Let's start Let's start with coaching change in New Jersey. 
Um, probably not a huge surprise, uh, just a desultory 7-1 loss to Buffalo uh, earlier this week, and that led GM Reishiro to make a coaching change. Alain Nezradin uh, coming in to, to, to take over for John Hines. Um, Devils following their narrative, though, losing to Vegas in uh, in the first game after John Hines' departure uh, as their season from hell continues. Um, and, of course, a lot of discussion now about, uh, to me, it's not even, you know, what happens to Taylor Hall, but uh, how quickly it happens with the former Hart Trophy winner and, and where he might end up. Um, lots to unpack there. What, it, we, let's start with, were you surprised at all with the coaching change and, and, and re- what really happens next? Yeah, you can't team? be surprised. I mean, it really did look like, after those losses to the Rangers and, and the Sabres in particular, that that team quit on him. And I hate when I see that, but, and the players will deny that. I mean, I should be careful when I say that, but it's just how it looks when you're watching it. Right. And, um, probably left Ray Shiro, no choice. I can't imagine. I mean, he really likes Ron John Hines and that would have been really difficult for, for Ray Shiro. And John Hines, by the way, is a good coach. He'll resurface and, and be better for this experience. Every coach gets fired. Um, but it's been a disaster of a season for a team that had higher expectations. The thing is now, and I kind of got into it in my column on Taylor Hall, uh, you know, on Sunday night, Monday morning, whenever it was published. You know, it really it, it affects the Taylor Hall decision and, and other decisions. I mean, I think now you go all in on on the kids, and and you make this about, you know, never mind trying to, you know, c- compete, you know. Uh, too high up the food chain at this point. It has to be about building around Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer and everyone else that's coming because you're going to have a lottery pick in June. You're, you might have another first round pick, albeit not a high one from trading Taylor Hall. And I think that has to be the focus is just building around that age group and that process, you know, where that leaves a guy like PK Subban down the road, who knows he's got a couple more years on his deal. And it's, it's always a good idea to have, you know, some quality veterans around your kids anyway. But that's why, to me, everyone keeps saying, well, you know, would Taylor Hall entertain re-signing with the Devils or not? I think that we're now asking the wrong question. The question is, does it make any sense to the Devils to even make him an offer, in my mind? Like, you know, an eight-year deal would bring him to the age 36. And I just think that that cap space... And, and everything else should be focused on the kids that are there and the kids that are coming. And that it, Taylor Hall, who's an exceptional player when he's going, I mean, you, you need to be a team that feels that you're that close to winning it all or having a chance to be in that for for the next five years to give Taylor Hall that contract. And I, I just don't think that's the devil. So um, I, I think the whole idea of where the debate is, to me, is... is People have been looking on the wrong side of it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Although, yeah, I, I, yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's funny. I talked to a bunch of NHL executives this week for a piece on Taylor Hall and some of the different, you know, things that are going to come into play or could come into play. And you know, nothing to stop Ray Shiro from trading Taylor Hall, who has no trade protection, so he can trade. Ray Shiro can trade Taylor Hall wherever he feels is the best deal for the New Jersey Devils. There's nothing to stop him from circling back and 
coming back and signing with the Devils in the, the offseason. Yeah, but again, right? if, that, if Ray felt I, I just that was don't a good think, fit. Yeah, I mean, right? but I think if you're the Devils, it would have to be like a five-year deal. Like, I, I don't know that the eight-year thing makes any sense for them anymore. But And, and if you're Taylor Hall, this is your contract. This is it. And I think you are going to max out uh, eight years if it's New Jersey and seven years um anywhere else unless you sign before the trade deadline with a new team like Mark Stone did last year. And I don't get the sense right now that uh, agent Darren Ferris would be advising Taylor Hall to make that kind of decision in season. I think that the idea at this point, and it could change, is to is to play the market and see what's out there. Yeah, I will say, I want to, before we move on, I, I was a bit surprised. There are, I think there is a, there is a, there certainly are a group of people out, you know, in the NHL who look at Taylor Hall and are, like are wondering, okay, is is he the kind of guy that puts you over the top? And let's not and let's let's not talk rental because you know if he's a rental player, he's going to help Colorado, he's going to help St. Louis, he's going to help Dallas, wherever you know wherever he ends up, he's going to help. There's no question. But when you talk about maxing out. There are a lot of NHL executives who are loath to make a winger a cornerstone piece at seven times ten, or and if you're seven times ten, you are a mm-hmm. cornerstone piece. And really, you know, he's not having a great year. Uh, he struggled, you know, at times in Edmonton when a you know a team was a tire fire. I get that, um, but this team should be better, right? That Devils team. There are lots of good pieces there, and they should be better than they are. And yes, the defense isn't where it needs to be, and the goaltending certainly has been a real problem, and that needs to be addressed. But I, I was surprised at the number of people who were like, you know, I'm not, you know, Taylor Hall is not Alex Ovechkin, and I'm not even, I'm not sure he's Artemi Panarin, whose cap hit is north of 11 million with the New York Rangers, and who has done a really nice job there. But I was surprised that there was some skepticism about Taylor Hall. And to your point, mm-hmm. is he that? Much I think part of the skepticism is that he's been hurt a lot, right? And he's coming off the big uh, knee injury, and and I think that's where a lot of it is based, as far as putting that kind of investment in the player. But I got to tell you, when he's healthy and going, and and in a happy place, I think he's pretty incredibly dynamic, as we saw from his Hart Trophy season, and. And I get the sense from Taylor Hall, and I haven't spoken to him in a long time, so this is just my own observation, but I get the sense that part of his decision-making outside of the money will be to sign with a team that, you know, maybe a Canadian team, but a real where it's like the... There are some players that live off the idea that if you don't play well, there's an entire market on... Like, the pressure in an Edmonton, the pressure in a Calgary, the pressure in a Montreal, you know what I mean? And, you know, listen, the Devils fan base is 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 very loyal, very rabid, but it's obviously not a Canadian market when nothing else matters but but that hockey team, right? And and I think part of me believes that Taylor Hall misses that and that he craves that. And it'll be interesting to see how that may or may not influence his, his next contract. And you know, speaking of which, as I wrote, I mean, I, I do think both the Flames and the Oilers, by the way, are going to kick the tires with the Devils if they haven't already. I really do. Um, I don't think I don't think Ken Holland can justify trading a first round pick. I don't see that. But are there other elements of play that could make it worth the price? Who knows? And I think the Flames, listen, Taylor Hall, you know, it's from Calgary. 
Um, there's lots of obvious storylines there, and also maybe uh, the kind of deal that would uh, shake things up a bit too uh, if you're Calgary. So who knows? I think you could name 12 teams in a hurry here and make the case for all of them, but those two spots are kind of fun to think about. Yeah, it's funny. I talked to a a longtime executive, former player this week, and he he pinpointed Montreal. He said, you know, listen, Mark Bergevin has been, you know, he's been looking for a, a stud forward, difference maker. All of a sudden, Taylor Hall on the wing, Shea Weber on the back end, Carey Price in net. You know, I, I know the Habs are, you know, they're just coming out of a long winless streak, as, you know, making a very strong point. That's not a losing streak. It's a winless streak. That, uh, <laughs> But that's, uh, to your point, I mean, I can't, you know, I, I, I think, I think that would be amazing to see to see him in that marketplace. And we've already seen Max Domi really thrive in you know in that kind of pressure cooker. Maybe to your point, uh, Montreal becomes a place where Taylor Hall, you know, that's a that's a landing. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. I, I read there was a little there was a roundtable on our site from our Habs guys, uh, Arpin Basu and Marc Antoine Godin and, and Sean Gordon. I, I read the version in French. I don't know if there was an English one, but probably is somewhere. I read the French version and. I was surprised to see that all three of them were seasoned veteran journalists who don't usually get sort of lured into the fantasy part of it all. They all believe it'd be worth the price for the Habs to go after him. And, and see, I, I kind of disagree. I understand what you're saying and what they're saying. You know, the Habs craving that type of player. But it's a delicate thing because Mark Bergevin and the Habs have, have made this about the future just as much as the present now with all the kids they have coming, right? And some of them are already there. Nick Suzuki, another great game last night against New York Islanders. Um, you know, are you really in a position where right now as we tape this, they're one point out of a playoff spot. They're going to be a bubble team all year, whether they have one leg on the right side of the fence or the other leg on the wrong side of the fence. Are you really giving up a first-round pick in June as part of a Taylor Hall deal when you're not sure Taylor Hall will be with you past June 30th? I I don't see it. I don't see it. Well, I, I mean, yeah, I, I'm not saying it can't happen. That deal I, unless you, unless you. Well, yeah, no, it. but that's what I'm yeah. saying. But there's okay, no guarantee that. I, I, as I said, I yeah. think that Darren Ferris traditionally, if you look at the way he's done negotiations, is he usually will play it out. That's what that's what I mean. Yeah, well, you don't need to raise your voice with me. I just raised it. <laughs> no, I, and listen, I'm not, I mean, listen, it may very well be that they trade for him. <laughs> I'm saying, when I say I don't see it, I'm saying I wouldn't do it. Easy for me to say. Yeah. Okay, I, we're going to take a break in a minute, but I want to ask you, so let's, uh, you know, the long-term thing, you know, and to your point, like, let's assume that Taylor Hall is going to go to market in July. That still leaves what happens between now and February 24th, right? That's trade deadline. Um, what's your, you know, what, what's your gut? I know a lot of people, you know, Colorado's the flavor of the day where he might end up, you know, I mean, lots of, lots of reasons. It would be a tremendous fit for, uh, Jared Bednar and the Avs, uh, lots of good young, um, assets that could come back to the devils. Uh, but what else, like, what is there, what do you, what do you have a gut feeling or are you thinking, Hey, I would love it if this team got in on it because, He's in the short term, as we discussed, he has the potential to shift the balance of power pretty dramatically. Well, the West is wide open too, which is interesting. You know, I, when I look at the East, 
I feel all roads go through Boston and Washington at this point, and to some degree the the terrific Islanders. But I do feel in the East that if you if you were going to put your life savings on who's coming out of the East to go to the Cup final, are you not taking Boston or Washington right now? I mean, it just feels with you. yes. Even with all the parody and all the upsets and everything else, it just feels like that's pretty rock solid at this point. Whereas I think the West is completely wide open. I mean, the defending cup champions have been unbelievable for sure, the Blues. Um, but Colorado's right there with them. I just feel like the Central, again, whoever's playing each other in the Central is going to be a total dogfight. I love the idea of the Avs going out and renting him and seeing if they can sign him later. But because the Avs have so many assets, so much cap room, that I think even if the price is exorbitant, it doesn't hurt their bottom line as much as it might another team, if it, even if it's a rental. You know what I mean? And, and I got to think that it, it, this is about exposing Taylor Hall to what life could be like longer term. Playing four or five months with Nathan McKinnon might not be a bad way to do it. Um, and I think the Avs, you know, they're a young, exciting team that I think has a chance to win the cup, quite frankly, or at least come out of the West. Um Another team, I mean, I have to mention them only because Doug Wilson is Doug Wilson. You know, they don't even have a first-round pick this June that belongs to Ottawa and the Eric Carlson deal, but I just can't count them out of wanting to get involved in that, right? (laughs) It's just what they do from Joe Thornton to Brent Burns to Evander Kane to Eric Carlson, whenever there's a big name out there. And remember, they tried to sign John Tavares. They were invited. They were among the final list of teams that got to to bid on him, right? Um, and they also were among the teams that secretly, well, not secret anymore because it's been reported, but at the time also got an audience with Steven Stamkos. San Jose's always hovering when when there's a, a big dog on the market. I, I don't like their chances because I don't think right now that they have the, the same kind of assets that a Colorado or a St. Louis or... Uh, you know, a Cal- Calgary is all their picks, by the way, the next three years, or all their top picks. I don't, there are teams that have more obvious assets to give to Ray Shiro than San Jose, but I can't not have this conversation and not protect myself just because of Doug Wilson's history. Yeah. Well, I'm going to give you two teams, and then we'll, t- we'll take a break. But I, And you touched on the New York Islanders. I talked to a scout not long ago, and we talked about the Islanders and you know how impressive they are under Barry Trotz. And I said, can they win a cup playing that way? I, I haven't looked recently, but they're still top three or four and certainly in the Eastern Conference and goals allowed per game and I said can you win a cup playing that way and he says you can win a round or two but I without a game breaker I don't think you can win a cup and you mentioned Washington and and Boston you throw Taylor Hall into a New York Islander lineup and maybe maybe we talk differently about the Eastern Conference and then the team in the West and I swear I mention them every week and not just because I wrote about Darcy Cumper and you know I think Rick Tockett's done an amazing job you know they went out and they got Phil Kessel in the offseason um with the Arizona Coyotes if you throw yeah they're right at the cap though eh it's uh... yeah but they yes they they would have to they would have to make some magic they'd have to but and mm-hmm. we know though that depending on what goes back you know ratio you know potential to eat some of uh, Hall's salary. I, I, I think, back I, I think he will. Yeah. I think he will eat the maximum fifty percent. Is my prediction. Right. Yeah. They, they so, have the cap room, and 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 the reason you want to eat fifty percent is that it augments what you what you can get in the return package for sure. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, I throw Arizona out there because in a Pacific division that is still very fluid. Right. Love the Oilers and what they're doing, but you know Vegas is 
not where we thought they'd be probably san jose you know charging back into the pack uh calgary you know having to have, make a coaching change with bill peters i just i think that you know to your point the west is wide open but certainly the pacific is there for the taking why not arizona so there you go yeah no that, that's uh, an interesting pick I, by the way you mentioned the islanders that just so happens i worked one of their games uh, this week here montreal and it wasn't one of their better games but i've been watching watching them a bit more lately and I, i'll tell you it's funny what that executive told you about them because i think the opposite i think that their game is better suited for a playoff run than it is 82 game regular season they play the hardest game of any team in the national hockey league for my money the kind of devotion and focus and work ethic that it takes to play their game when they're at their best right now is the kind of game that teams are finally willing to play come the two-month playoffs but to do it from october to april is it's unbelievable to me that Barry Trotz has that buy-in from that team. It is a suffocating style. Like, I mean, Montreal had to play almost a near-perfect game to beat them uh, on Tuesday night to end their, their winless streak, and they did. But the Islanders, you make one mistake, it's in the back of your net. I mean, they just it's such a disciplined defensive game that the Islanders play. And I think, my goodness, Barry Trotz might win back-to-back Jack Adams' uh, awards that this keeps up here yeah and it, it, this wasn't a sort of criticism of the islanders it was more uh what happens and i think we saw it last year frankly against carolina in the second round is that yes this is it puts you in a great spot it is playoff hockey all year long they're good for a round or two but i think his point was if you had a game breaker that jumps the power play that you know in a 2-1 sure. game that yeah. that that's it. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and, and I mean, and, and listen, I, the reason I think it's amazing the buy in that they have, like you look at a guy like Matthew Barzal, who's still going to end up having a pretty nice year, but he's not able to put up the kind of points that he could if, if the Islanders are playing the kind of style that other, that most teams in the league these days are playing, right? And you got all these high scoring games and players padding their, their stats, and it's fun to watch. It's the best hockey we've seen in years, I think. And the Islanders are sort of sticking out there as the one team not playing that style. It's uh, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, good stuff. All right, don't go away. We'll be back with two-man advantage in a brief moment. And we'll, we're going to talk about some coaching, so don't go away. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. That's just the way it is. Usually people brush it off, blame themselves, saying, hey, Cowboys lost another game. Or the Canadians, eight games without a win. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it. With a real doctor who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan, If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to roman.com slash advantage and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Just go to getroman.com slash advantage to get a free online visit 
and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com Advantage for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com Advantage. All right, Pierre, I, I, I thought um, maybe one of the most, I mean, we talked about it last week on the podcast with uh, Bill Peters and Mike Babcock and, you know, the, the, the ripples continue to be felt in the hockey world about uh, coaches and uh, what is appropriate and how, how the landscape is changing in, in hockey. And frankly, I, I, I think it's, it's a great conversation that's probably long, long overdue. And I thought one of the most important parts of this week, um, and you and I both sort of mentioned it on Twitter, but uh, Kim Aliu meeting in Toronto with Commissioner Gary Bettman and Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly. I know uh, Kim Aliu had four representatives with him, uh, and it sounded from both sides uh, like a very meaningful discussion about what needs to happen in terms of change and, and making sure the game is as open and accessible and accountable as it needs to be. And it sounds like something that, and I, I, I you know, I've been accused of being a Pollyanna, a glass half full guy, but it does sound like the start of something that could be really meaningful moving forward. And um, I just wonder what your take was on that and, and, and maybe how important something like this might be in terms of a genesis of, of, uh, you know, taking the, the game onto a, a new and, and better track. Yeah, I'm, it's funny. Some years, uh, I, I cover the Board of Governors every year, as you know, Scotty, and uh, I'm headed there this weekend, the Board of Governor meetings where the NHL owners meet, or presidents of teams, or uh, a, a sprinkling of GMs who get to go to the Board of Governors, not all. This is going to be a big meeting. Um, there's no question that, all of this is is front and center next week at the Board of Governors, and I think the NHL has something to present to owners as far as changing its practices, and 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 I think there's a lot coming. And as Akeem Aliu hinted at himself, both in his very short little media scrum yesterday and in his tweet, big changes coming. And so I'm like you, I, I'm hopeful. Uh, I'm not naive, but I am hopeful that. What has been a really difficult couple of weeks could produce something uh, positive, and and it appears that the league has something in store for us uh, next week at the Board of Governors. So that uh, it will be fascinating, and and again, uh, you know, it, it it's been a tough couple of weeks. You know, um, I mean that that would be the positive side of all this, but uh, you know, in the meantime, you know, you got more. Former players stepping up with allegations, etc. And um, you know it, it's been tough. And I, I, I tell you, I, I, uh, I applaud the NHL Coaches Association for coming out yesterday um, after I reached out and, and producing. I, I thought Scotty a pretty, uh, you know, a pretty meaty statement, if that makes any sense. It wasn't just some PR spin or a PR statement, but. They put out a statement on behalf of all their coaches and basically said that they obviously, you know, stand behind their coaches and, and, and but they also know that there's a line that can't be crossed and that they want to work with the NHL and the players to to get this whole thing to uh to a better place. And I thought it showed a lot of leadership from the coaches association, which a lot of people don't know much about. <laughs> There were a couple of people tweeting at me yesterday saying they didn't know there was a coach association, but there certainly is. And it's an important body. And um, and I'm sure, I shouldn't say I'm sure, I know they're 
a lot of coaches feeling pretty vulnerable right now about what's transpiring. And, and I think what's going to be important through all this too, Scotty, is to make sure that, you know, that, that, that everyone stays measured in certainly having players continue to step up and tell their stories. That's important. That's part of the healing and it's part of the, the reckoning, right? But also not forgetting that a lot of these coaches are good people. And, and, you know, and, and listen, I'll just bring it up now, but I, I think now the, you know, Mike Babcock continues to take a lot of knocks, uh, Johan Franson being the latest. And listen, Mike Babcock's going to have to, at some point, you know, um, you know, talk about that, I guess. But at the same time, I, I have to say this because I feel that this is part of it that you're, we're not hearing a lot right now. Mike Babcock's done a lot of good things and he's done a lot of charitable things and he's helped a lot of people. And so my my point is we live in a society where it seems like we only want to paint people in either one side or the other. And I think that what we're really going to find out is that there are people that we've gotten over the years that we like that have done a lot of good things, but also have done some bad things. And, you know, we, we have to work our, our way through that because, you know, no player should ever, you know, uh, have to face abuse and, 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 and all that stuff. But at the same time, I'm just saying, I think going forward, both sides of it will have to be balanced as we continue to navigate these waters. Yeah, no, there's no question. And I think that, I mean, it's a great, it's a really important point. And I think it's important that the coaches association is, is doing what they're doing because they, you know, it's a very low profile group. Um, they do a lot of work with helping out with health benefits and immigration issues, and they do a lot of behind the scenes stuff. And, you know, I'm now this is front and center as it should be and and you're right this is this is about healing and it's uh, i talked to an nhl executive this week who said very similar thing he said you know listen if there are bad people in the game who do you know who have been doing or are doing or did do bad things they need to be weeded out but he said the the concern is if you have good people who are flawed and who made mistakes in the past maybe they've corrected them do, you know, if they get caught up in the net, there there does need to be some measured approach to how the league and individual teams handle these kinds of things. And, and I would just go back to what you say about, you know, this Board of Governors meeting next week in California. To me, what is critical in all this, and, and I, I, too, don't like to think I'm naive, but I am hopeful that there has to be absolute transparency moving forward. Right. I mean, let's let's hear what Kim Aliu has to say. What is the plan moving forward? What is the NHL going to do? What are the clubs doing? Let's not hide any of it. And I'm hopeful that that's part of what we're going to see moving forward. I, I just think that that will be a critical part of this moving forward is that there is complete transparency on you know, what the expectations are, what the punishments are, how how we how we navigate these waters. That's what I'm hopeful of. Yeah, no question. It's uh, whew, big, uh, big moment in the history of the sport in this league, and you know, Hockey Canada is is working away at it as well, and uh, the NHLPA continues to have internal discussions about all this. It's uh, it's a fascinating time. There's no question about yeah. it. Yeah, no question. <clears throat> all right, we are going to take a break. We're going to hear from Blake Wheeler. We're going to hear from Brian Elliott, and. I'm really excited about both of those, actually. Um, but before we do that, I'm, I'm going to ask you a question. 
Do you ever get on Craig Custance's podcast? Do you ever go on the full 60? I believe I was on his first ever one. <laughs> or one of. We did it in my house. Um, but uh, not lately. Uh, yeah. I don't think I'm smart enough to be on it. I think only really smart people get on it. So It's true. You know what? I look at his list, and I was on once, but I think I was in Dallas. I think I was working for the Dallas Stars, and I think Craig felt sorry for me, so I was on. In fact, he may not have even used it. He may just tape me for 45 minutes and then deleted the entire file. But it, I do remember being on one, but not since I started working at The Athletic. But you know what? In spite of that, and in fact, maybe because of the fact that you and I are unlikely to be on the full 60, you should listen to it, right? You should listen to the full 60. It comes out every Wednesday on iTunes uh, with an extended version at The Athletic. So you should listen to the full 60. And that always leads me. That's a good only, if you, only if you have nothing else to do. I would say. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Once you're done listening to Two Man Advantage, if you have a little extra time, then you should listen to the full 60. But you, you know what? When it, speak, when it comes to Two Man Advantage, um, you should rate and subscribe to Two Man Advantage on Apple. And if you click on the show's URL, which is theathletic.com slash Two Man Advantage, you'll get 40% off your subscription. And when you subscribe to The Athletic, which you should be doing just as a matter of course, you'll get to hear the full two-man advantage. And I'm using my hand. I've got my hands spread out wide here, Pierre. The full two-man advantage, which includes interviews with guys like Blake Wheeler and Brian Elliott. And you should do that. So just subscribe to The Athletic, and then you won't have to worry about getting cut off in the middle of, uh, of a conversation. How do you feel about that? Right on, right on. <laughs> 